I was made for this. I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. Bob, I have found my calling. How about you? Do you think that way? I've heard those words from people over the years, most recently, just last week, from a friend who was excited about a change where he thought God could use him in an even greater way than before. In our passage today, as we continue on in the book of Romans, we've come to a section that's really kind of the ending section. We're in the middle of chapter 15. Paul is wrapping up his concluding remarks. Uh, the heavy stuff, if you will, is behind us. Uh, it's actually not the kind of passage you might choose to preach. One of the great advantages of being at a church that goes through Bible books from beginning to end is that we get the passages that we probably don't hear often in sermons because it's not the sort of text that you would pick typically if you were picking your own. But we come to what I would say is Paul's, Paul's understanding, his self-understanding of himself, of his calling, of what God had called him to do, the work that he was to do. And so we're talking about the Apostle Paul today who lived in a much different time and place of us, but than us. But by understanding Paul's understanding of himself, we can get insight into our own lives. And that's what I hope that you do today as we go through this passage, that you apply it. I'll try to help us, but that you apply it to yourself. Where are you in your life? What has God called you to be and to do? Our lives are different, but our calling is similar. Uh, by the way, of course, the Bible tells us that all Scripture is profitable. And so here is a portion of Scripture that we can profit by in that way. And I want you to be empowered and encouraged today by this text so that you can see, maybe in a new way, the work that God has done through you in the past, doing through you now, or in the future, perhaps even in greater measure in the future, that someone could say of you and of me that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to teach others, that you have been gifted, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that because of God's use of you, you can be proud of what Christ has accomplished through you. And so again, we're in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verses 14 through 21. And if you would, we're just going to go through this pretty much uh, verse by verse. And so open it up in your Bibles in front of you or your own, or I think we'll have it as well. It's on page 949. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. But if not, you have Bibles in front of you, and please turn to Romans 15. And let me ask you to stand, if you can, if you're able to, as I read the Word of God. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that an offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Very inspiring words, wouldn't you say? Very encouraging words to us. And I hope that you are encouraged as well. Hopefully you have seen some of these things in your own life and desire to see them in even greater measure as you go forward. Verse 15, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me. There's an interesting switch there between this praise that he gives them and then it seems like, well, you might say he has a twinge of apprehension perhaps that maybe he had been too difficult with him in the past uh, I assume in the book in the writing of the book of Romans and uh, he wanted to make sure that he had not maybe come on too strong or offended them in some way what he said was true about them but again he wanted to back it down just a little bit what was he referring to well he doesn't say but there's plenty of choices uh, chapter 14 he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? Pretty strong language. Chapter 13, just going in reverse order. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur, incur judgment. Strong language. Chapter 12, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment. Well, there's many other examples, but he was concerned that they would receive what he had to say. As I thought of an example, I was watching the Suns game Thursday night, right? And um, there was a timeout, and uh, the coach, Monty Williams, was agitated. And he doesn't get agitated very often, but I heard him say to the players in this break, enough is enough. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not sure exactly what he was thinking about but I for some reason I think it was the physical play the Suns were getting roughed up we were behind by double digits and uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, they uh, responded appropriately it was a game they wanted to win and he repeated it in that same huddle at the end guys enough is enough he was quite agitated about whatever precisely it was well as you know they went on to uh, dominate the third and fourth quarter, come from behind, win going away. And it may be, I don't know, of course, it may be that the next day after they had won the series that he thought to himself, like Paul maybe thought, 
well, what I said was true, and maybe it was helpful, but I, I wonder if I, you know, might have come on too strong, said, said too much. And so he backed it off a little bit, maybe by starting with some praise. I mean, after all, they had won the game. I think Paul was doing that. He starts with praise, backs it off, uh, but he wants us to be encouraged by God's call upon us. Well, he goes on, and now it's where he begins to really talk about himself and God's call. He says, um, I've been called to be, verse 16, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, I would submit to you that verse 16 probably is striking to many of our ears. Whether you have a Catholic background or a Protestant background, Paul here describes his work as a priestly work, doing a priestly duty. Not something we tend to think about, particularly as Protestants. Uh, the word used here in the New Testament is, applies, is used both of the Jewish priesthood and of Jesus himself as our great high priest, the fulfillment of the Old Testament high priest. And note all the words in verse 16 that sort of remind us of that Old Testament system of priest, priestly system itself, priestly service, an offering, an offering acceptable to God. And the word sanctified, made holy in God's presence. Those are, that's all sort of Old Testament language here. And Paul clearly saw himself fulfilling the role of a priest, making this work of offering as an act of worship. He saw his work as an act of worship to God. What, what offering was Paul making? Well, it's, I think it's clear here. And uh, Well, first, what was Paul's particular calling? He says it again here in this verse for the third time, by the way, in the book of Romans, that his particular calling was that to be an apostle, specifically to the Gentiles, specifically to those who were not Jewish background, but to those who were outside the Jewish faith. Now, he had other roles, of course, but he was an apostle, gifted to give to us those oracles of God, but his main calling was that to the Gentiles. And here Paul regards his work as a priestly ministry because he could offer his Gentile converts as a living sacrifice to God. Now, if that isn't a motivation to help you be thrilled by, by the work that God has called you to, however you do in your goal to bring others to Christ, I don't know what would be. To see it that way, I think, is powerful. Paul probably had in mind the words of the prophet Isaiah from chapter 66, where we read, and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. And so there are Isaiah's prophesying that there'll be a day when people from every tribe and nation will come to him as an offering to God and the fact of their faith and obedience. And Paul sees his work in the here and now, particularly in his work with the Gentiles, these non-Jews, as a fulfillment of that prophecy of Isaiah given 700 years before that. None of us are called to be an apostle today, and probably none of us, well, maybe we would say that we particularly focus in on Gentiles, but again, by application, apply that to yourself. 
What is, that, what is it that God has called you to do? What has he gifted you to do? It's unique, each one of us, but it's important to think about it in that way. Well, verse 17, he goes on. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Paul was proud. In fact, a literal translation says, I have a right to glory in myself. Gee, isn't pride a sin? Well, yes, but that's not what was happening here, is it? Paul didn't say, for I will not venture to speak of anything except that which I have accomplished through Christ, but rather, he said, for I will not venture to speak of anything but which Christ has accomplished through me by what I have done and said. And so here we find again something that I don't know that we think about sometimes in the midst of our busy world when we're sort of beaten up by the pressures of the day, that in fact we can have satisfaction, should have satisfaction in what God has called us to do, in that faithful delivery of God's calling upon us, even in the midst of the mundane that uh, takes our time and pressures that each of us have every day. Well, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. Well, again, that's his particular calling, the Gentiles, but it's that word to obedience I want us to think about for a moment now. I will not, for which Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. In other words, Paul had a goal for his ministry. I suspect we should as well in terms of the part of our ministry that would be to encourage others to come to Christ. What was that goal? Obedience. Obedience to whom and to what? Well, to Jesus and his commands. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, Jesus says to us. Now, I think it's interesting here that Paul sums up his evangelistic work with one word, obedience. In other words, the word faith is not here. You might have expected him to say, to bring them to faith. Or at least to say, to bring them to faith and obedience, but he doesn't. He just uses the word obedience. Well, you know, after all, obedience to Christ is the mark of a successful ministry. It is the mark of a true Christian. Obedience is always the end goal. Obedience is the indispensable consequence of a saving faith. Obedience is a virtual ingredient to us to grow as Christians. And this language is not unique to Paul. Jesus used similar language that I already quoted. And Peter uses it as well in 1 Peter. He writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are the elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Peter is writing to those who are obedient to Christ. Now, some years ago, it's a controversy still today, but some years ago, particularly in the 80s, there was a sort of a well-known dispute that occurred. Many conferences were made, many books were written, and it really had to do with 
Uh, can you hold to Jesus as Savior without also holding to Jesus as Lord? The, the pejorative terms, if you were around when that controversy was, and I'm sure neither side was very happy with these terms, was, well, easy believism versus lordship salvation. And again, the dispute, though, was uh, what is the relationship to obedience and faith? How important is obedience to show that you have a true faith? And those concerned that uh, of the obedience crowd, if I can put it that way, their concern was important, meaning if we emphasized obedience too much, well, then we might be de-emphasizing the fact that salvation is by grace alone, not by works. A very important doctrine, of course. Those who would say obedience would say, well, yes, that's all true, and we don't deny that, but let's also read the Bible, the Gospels, and places like this, and say obedience is the mark of what it really means to be a Christian who has been truly repentant and responded to Christ in faith and repentance. And I think here the Bible just doesn't make a radical separation between Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. You take all of Jesus or you take none of him. And so obedience is a, a part and an important mark of our calling. By definition, Jesus is Savior, and by definition, Jesus is also Lord. Faith and obedience cannot and should not be separated. Uh, the book of James, of course, speaks to this very issue. Well, again, verse 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. How did Christ, through Paul, accomplish this work that he was called to? Word and deed. Let me say it one more time. Word and deed. They go together naturally. Now, we speak of the word, uh, the word of God incarnate, and the word of God written. John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the word incarnate is Jesus who took upon himself human flesh in the incarnation and his birth, and he was the word of God incarnate. We also have the word of God written, which of course is the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians 2, we read, when you receive the word of God, this was Paul commending them, you, the, when, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, the, the apostles, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. And so the Bible is unique in giving us the word of God written. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable, we read. So that's the word. What does the word do? Jesus as the word incarnate, the Bible as the word written. Well, it's by the ministry of the word that most of us have come to faith. That's the primary way that God calls us to faith. Well, what are deeds then? Well, not hard. Deeds are good works. Ephesians 2, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. 
It is the bearing of one another's burdens, Galatians 6. It is taking care of the poor and the needy, is helping the widow. Titus 2 says, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, word and deed. They always go together. Just as we cannot separate Jesus as Savior as from Jesus as Lord, we cannot separate word and deed. Well, now, of course, there's been another controversy which uh, has been on for a long time and still continues, and that would be the, I guess the buzzword would be the social gospel. And, of course, the danger of the social gospel is that, in fact, we forget about the word. And it may be that if the social gospel is taught in the sense that we do forget about the word, then that is a problem for sure. But again, the core issue is not, are we engaged in good deeds? The core issue is, is that do we, do we also have the word, the incarnate word, Jesus, and the word of God, the Bible, as part of that testimony? They go together. The word gives us the knowledge, the deed illustrates it for us. The, deed per, uh, uh, the, the deeds give real practical help to people in need that perhaps make them more open to hearing the word incarnate, the word preached. Um, we cannot separate word and deed. That was the hallmark of Jesus' ministry. That was the basis of Paul's ministry. And it needs to be the basis of our ministries too. And it's something, of course, we always have to keep checking to make sure that we have a balanced ministry of word and deed. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. Miracles. Uh, they, they, they have the power to validate the truth. And we see the miracles particularly increasing at the time when God was giving new revelation. Paul's ministry had the aid of many mighty powers of signs and wonders in his life. Read the book of Acts again to remind yourself of that. God still does miracles today, but we point back often in the word to the miracles that God has brought to his people in the past to help people understand that our God is a powerful God and the only true and living God. By the power of signs and wonders, and then he says, by the power of the Spirit of God. Well, this, of course, is the Holy Spirit. We're not surprised to know that the only power that we have or the power that we have that is effective for the ministry that God has called us to is God the Holy Spirit. A power in Greek is the word dunamis, from which, of course, we get the word dynamite. Isn't that a great way to think about the power of the Holy Spirit? It is the dynamite that is needed to make a change. Uh, nothing will change in your life or someone else's life without the power of the Holy Spirit. You do not have the power sufficient in and of itself. And notice in this passage, too, I won't go back and read it, but Paul weaves in God the, Father, the work of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit very, very seamlessly 
It was the triune God that was behind his ministry. It was the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that gave him the power to continue on. Well, it goes on. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I have made it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ had already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. You know, I don't know how to pronounce that word Illyricum. That's how I'm saying it. I actually asked a few people and didn't get any definitive responses either. So I may be doing it wrong. But what's interesting is you have Jerusalem here in the southeast and Illyricum is up in the northwest. And Paul says his ministry, these were sort of the boundaries of the ministry that he had between the two, between uh, Israel and uh, what is now Croatia. In fact, the most exciting thing, even though I couldn't figure out how to pronounce it, was Elirikim has to be within miles of where my father was born in Graditz, Croatia. Uh, one of these days, now I'm going to have to go back and see what, what else is there. Um, so Paul then describes his ministries, again, applying it to himself. Our ministries are much different. He quotes from Isaiah 52, 15 there, those who have never been told. And again, we see something of Paul's unique desire, uh, not to help other churches, but to go into pioneering places. Now, again, that's probably much different than most of our callings today. And so your responsibility, our goal, is to say, what has God called me to do? Uh, we have different tasks. We have different gifts. We are all part of the same body. We're endowed then with the ability to fulfill the calling that God has given to us. I, of course, can say it no better than 1 Peter 4, as he writes, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as to one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Whatever gift you have, because of God's very grace, you find it, use it, develop it for the glory of God and for your good as well. Well, earlier I had said I, I want you to be encouraged and empowered by these words so that you can see the work that God has done through you and will continue to do, perhaps even in greater measure, that someone could say of you that you are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to teach others, that you have been gifted, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and that because of God's use of you, you can be proud of what Christ has accomplished through you. Uh, Paul was satisfied with what God had done through him. Are you? Are we? Uh, maybe you're thinking, you know, Bob, I mean, I, 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 I read this too, I see what you're saying, but you know, I have a lot of difficulties in my life. You don't know my life. I've got a lot of pressures and anxieties and problems and young children and issues, money problems and issues at work that take up my time and energy. And so I just can't think this way. I, I'm thinking about getting through the day, not, not thinking about how God has used me. Well, I understand that. I, I really do. I've been through all of those things myself. 
And, and after all, Paul lived in a time and he had a life that was not at all difficult. Paul's life was easy. Well, thank you. I'm glad that somebody picked up. I was worried about what would happen if nobody did. You know, if you want to read about Paul's life, uh, read the book of 2 Corinthians. That would be the one place to go. I'll just quote very briefly from chapter 11. Uh, Three times beaten with rods, uh, shipwrecked, uh, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, daily pressures on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's a very brief summary of what he goes through in 2 Corinthians 11, and then chapter 4 would be a good chapter to read as well. And so somehow, Paul, in the midst of a life that, you know, is as difficult as yours and mine with different pressures but still problems, he understood that God could use him, and God was using him, and he was proud of that, even in the midst of the struggles and the setbacks that he went through. So, what is it that you've been made for? Have you found your calling? What is your life about? Whom God, what, what has call, God called you to be? What has he called you to do? Can you say that you can be proud, that you are proud of what God has done through you in your life? Well, these are the kinds of questions that, that let's take with us as we leave this particular passage and continue on in the book of Romans next week and allow it to encourage us and to strengthen us, to remind ourselves that God can, he is, he wants to use us in the midst of all the things that we have going on, all the pressures, all the struggles. And if we don't see it that way, then perhaps let's pray that God gives us a different view of the things that we are doing, that you know, can we see successes in our life, perhaps with our spouse or with our children or somebody uh, that you're employed with, your employer, your employees, uh, friends, parents, whoever it is that God has brought you to in your sphere of influence and sphere of ministry. And let's be encouraged that God is at work by the power of the Holy Spirit. I asked Crystal, uh, uh, speak was the name of the thing. I thought that was a great, uh, she, of course, she asked me what the sermon was about, but I thought the music today really emphasized the importance of uh, trusting in Christ alone and relying upon his power alone that we might live a life that is satisfying to God and therefore satisfying to us as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this time. We thank you for this word in Romans 15. I pray that you might apply it, help us apply it to our lives, that we might be encouraged that uh, God has and will continue to use us for his glory. Amen.